0: when you consider how the gospel goes forth it goes forth through people in fact if you consider how did you end up even here today or if you're a person who has personally trusted in jesus christ it is very likely is because somebody loved you enough and loved the gospel enough to actually engage you and talk with you about christ and i present this to you because there is a great work that we are called to be involved in. God's chosen method for the gospel to go forth is through people. And if you wanna get a scope of what we're looking at in terms of the entire world, does anybody have any idea how many people are in the world? Does anybody have any wild ideas? Yeah, that's right, it's over seven billion people. And just to give you some statistics so you understand this, uh, there are about 11% of those people, Actually, identify themselves as believers in Christ or a follower in Christ, okay? They see themselves as committed to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Another 38% of those peop- uh, people in the 7 billion actually have heard the gospel, but at this point, as, as of yet, they have not placed their faith in Christ. That leaves you with about 50% of the 7 plus billion. These are people who have never. Heard a clear presentation of the gospel and likely never will and yet the gospel is meant to go out throughout the world and god looks to do this through his people and when you come to the book of romans as we've been making our way through it just like we saw last week we spent a whole week kind of covering that chapter i want to hone in on some key verses look at romans chapter 10 beginning in verse 13. it says whoever will call on the name of the lord will be saved you see that whoever doesn't matter your background whether you're religious a nice little church attender or a person that has never even entered into a church before you have really no spiritual background you would say that your spiritual identity is chaos it doesn't matter whoever will trust Jesus as Lord recognizing not only his deity but the fact that he is the resurrected one from the dead who offers genuine spiritual life to all who believe Whoever will call on the name of the Lord, whoever believes, you will be saved, literally rescued. You'll be rescued from your sins. Well, then how are they going to believe? And inverting in verse 14, Paul starts asking a series of rhetorical questions. Look at this in verse 14, Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How, how, how are they going to actually believe if they've never heard the gospel? Can you answer that question? Or he says, and how will they hear without a preacher? Not somebody that uh, spends most of their days as a pastor, but a preacher, someone who actually proclaims Christ. How are they ever going to hear apart from someone ever telling them? Or look what he says in verse 15. Or how will they preach unless they are sent? You see, he's saying, until we go, people likely will not hear. And if you want to see God's perspective on his people that actually move forward with his mission of proclaiming the gospel to this world, you just keep reading in verse 15, and he says, Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Quoting here from the book of Isaiah, he says, Their feet, the people that go forth with my mission of proclaiming Christ, sharing the gospel, it is beautiful in my sight. It is part of the reason why God has left us here. So how are we going to do this, though? I mean... How do we go about actually sharing our faith? If God intends for us who actually believe the gospel, believe in Christ, to actually go and engage other people, well, how are we going to do that? Well, let's first of all get a couple terms clear. First one is the word gospel. What does that mean? When we say the gospel, it means the good news. It is all that God has done, is doing, and will do through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Christ it is the good news about christ and all that he's accomplished that is the gospel if you believe the gospel what is true of christ his righteousness is actually transferred to your account now when we talk about people that are sharing the gospel that is called evangelism evangelism is sharing the gospel or the good news of salvation from sin and genuine relationship with god through trusting in jesus christ alone Evangelism isn't you telling people about some good moral conduct or some Christian principles or how Jesus could just be your friend or that he is the ticket to heaven and you don't want to go to hell, so just believe this stuff about Jesus and you don't go to hell. You get to go to heaven. Well, that's really not evangelism. Evangelism is showing people their need to trust not certain facts about Jesus, but truly to trust in the person. And the work of Jesus Christ now how do you actually go about this though how do you do this well let me give you just a practical pattern of sharing the gospel if we're going to share the gospel this seems rather apparent but we need to share the gospel with our words we actually have to articulate it to speak it and there are three issues that have to be made clear if someone is truly going to enter into a relationship with Christ The first one is sin. People actually have to understand what that word means and what it means in terms of the reality in their life. I know that it's not even vogue to even talk about sin, okay? And oftentimes, the quote-unquote gospel goes forth, but people aren't even talking about sin. We don't want to do that. That's so negative. People want to hear more bad news. They hear bad news all the time. And yet, what does the word sin mean? It literally means to miss the mark. And it means to fall short of what it means to know God to have a personal relationship with him, to trust him, to honor him, to know him for who he really is. And so it comes from ancient Greek archery when they would actually shoot at a target. If they missed the bullseye, it was called sin. Or if you're shooting at game and you miss the perfect clean shot, it was called sin. It means to miss the perfect mark. You see, you and I, we were created by God for God to know him. And whatever it is that we fill our life with that is not God, why well, that's to miss the mark. It's to sin. You and I, when we hear the word sin, we think of some pretty heinous stuff rape, murder, whoa, that's sin. That's heavy, bad, difficult stuff. And it is. But actually, the Bible says anything that misses the mark of you finding your sense of identity, purpose, salvation, forgiveness, apart from God, that's sin. Whether it's active rebellion or passive indifference, it's sin. For instance, if I ask you, hey, why is it well with your soul? Why is it good for you? And you know, if, you, if you're thinking like, man, it's good for me because of my job, position, success, where I live, how much money I've got, my entertainment, whatever little idol you fill your life in to, to find your sense of well-being, if it's not God, then you're not truly f- trusting in him. What happens is, is that you and I, we've, we try to anesthetize our life and the pain and the problems that are going on. And so we try to fill our life with all these problems that we've, uh, uh, we try to address all these problems with anything but God. And you and I have like a God-shaped void in our life. We are designed and meant to know him. And anything that you try to find your sense of well-being, purpose, salvation, forgiveness in, if it's not God, it's sin, it's to miss the perfect mark. And like the scripture says, like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us, have completely missed it. Or like Romans 6.23a, it says, for the wages of sin is death. What is death? Death is separation. So when a person physically dies, well, their soul is separated from their body. Physical death. What is spiritual death when your soul is separated from a right relationship with god all of it is the consequence of sin if people are going to understand the gospel you actually have to understand what it means to be a sinner or what sin is there's a guy by the name of stephen kingsley Uh, he lives in idaho his family in craigmont there has a, a carpet cleaning business and they got a really clever way of getting customers wanting to take full advantage of the services they provide and what they they advertise that they clean and carpets for pet odors okay and so they have people come and say hey yeah you know smell something here you know maybe you could help us and what they do is they make the room totally dark and they have this really powerful black light that they turn on And literally all these urine crystals just start radiating, okay? And it's not only all over their carpets, but it's on their furniture, on the walls, on the drapes. And like people start just like, ah! Like one lady just said, I can't stop. Turn it off. Do whatever it takes. I'll pay whatever. Just clean this up. Another lady said, I will never be able to live in my house again, okay? She's like, I can't handle all this. And that's what we do. The, God, the gospel, the, when we talk about God and his word, the law, it actually shows us that we're sinners. You and I were meant to live for God, to enjoy God, to know God. Is that true of us? No, we're trying to fill our life with all sorts of things. We got some serious sin issues. We've broken lots of relationships and lots of hearts. We've done a lot of stuff that we're totally embarrassed about. God knows all about that. All of that is sin, and that equates to spiritual death in our life. Once you understand sin, that sets you up for the next word, Savior. I mean, imagine if the uh, folks with the carpet business went and turned the black light on and showed people how totally messed up their house is, and they're like, oh, fix it for me, and they said, oh, no, 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 (laughs) no, I'm sorry, we don't do that. We just show you what a miserable, wretched place you live in, and we cannot help you. Goodbye. Can you imagine? That would be cruel and unusual, right? You wouldn't want to do that. Well, when God shows and identifies and people start to sense they are separated from God, they do want to know him, they see sin in their life and understand some of the breakdown that's going on, then they can understand this word, Savior. Christ literally has come to save us from the penalty of our own sin. It's through Christ that we can have relationship with God. And so you show them that Jesus Christ is the only way, by trusting him, is the only way to have real, right relationship with God. Like Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or John fourteen six, Jesus made a very exclusive claim. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. Did you really want genuine relationship with God? He says, that happens when you trust in me and the work that I accomplish on your behalf. Now, people, you know what? A lot of folks, especially down here in the Bible Belt, they got that. Got the sin, yeah, we're sinners. Jesus, yeah, he's the Savior. Got it. But to believe those facts about Jesus, that does not equate that you are a Christian. might be shocking news to you. Like, wait, I believe those things to be true. Must be a Christian. No, the third thing you have to understand is salvation. You not have to not, not only understand those things to be true, But you have to believe in the person and the work of jesus even the demons believe these things to be true they know them to be true probably a lot more powerfully than you and i do but they don't believe you got to come to a place where you are believing where you are trusting in christ and christ alone and belief has three elements to it first of all you have to have like the mental aspect of understanding you actually have to understand the gospel all right? Doesn't that make sense? You've got to know what the truth is before you can actually believe it. But there is not only a mental aspect, there's kind of an emotional aspect in the sense that you have a, a sorrow over sin, you see what sin has done, but you also have a trust in Christ, and there is a, and a desire and a, and a joy to actually know Him. And there's also, when you come to belief, there's not only mental, there's emotional, but there is a volitional, an act of your will that you truly are trusting in him. You are submitting to Christ. Your will is aligned with his. You are trusting in him. So that's what people need to understand when it comes to believing the gospel. How's God going to get his gospel to permeate this world, this globe? You know how he does it, don't you? He does it through people. People that are engaging other people about conversations about Christ. Now, you're gonna find once you're willing to start talking with people about more than just the superficial that people have serious needs in their lives and we could call them felt needs everybody has felt needs junior high students have a lot of felt needs high school students felt needs. college College is one huge, massive felt need, okay? There's just all sorts of problems. I mean, every age group, all sorts of adults, and when you talk about felt needs, you're talking about finances, and career, and relationships, and, and who I should marry, and how could I get married, and now that I'm married, how did I end up married, and why am I in this situation, and all these problems, and anxiety, and fear, and discouragement, and problems. I mean, we have felt needs. And what felt needs are is an excellent opportunity to talk about foundational needs. You see, God has created us to know him. And the Christian message isn't how we can get you through your problems, semi-sane. No, we want you to understand that God has created you to know him personally. And that it's through this relationship with Christ that we actually grow even in the midst of our felt needs that you and I are experiencing. And so what we want to do is start engaging people in conversations. Now, how do you actually start a spiritual conversation? What if actually you're here and you actually believe that you are supposed to start talking or be talking with people about Christ. That your feet are gonna be beautiful in God's sight. That you actually realize, man, Christ is everything and I really want my family members and coworkers and neighbors to truly know him and to trust him. How do you even start a conversation like that? I mean, that's not easy to do. I'm just gonna give you some of the questions that I use and I, I have to tell you that I'm surprised they're effective. Because they're so simple, and they're like, really, this question like this actually can lead to a spiritual conversation. I'll I'll tell you this: that the one who is looking for an opportunity to talk about Christ is the one who is most likely going to find it. If you're on the alert and you're looking for opportunities, you're going to be surprised. They're like everywhere. I mean, they show up in family gatherings. They show up with just hanging out and talking with neighbors. Go to your kids' events developing relationships at work, school. I mean, they're everywhere. So you'll uh, you'll find this, that if you ask a person a question, they often will ask you the same question back, right? I mean, it's kind of crazy, but people are like that. So for instance, you say, hey, what do you think of the cowboys? Everybody has got an opinion about the cowboys and their owner, and they'll tell you and after they give you that really profound answer, they'll say, hey, what do you think about the cowboys? I mean, people are like that. You ask them, you can ask them the question that you would like to be asked. Well, the same is true, like, you could use these simple questions like this. Hey, so you're talking with some folks, you got a little rapport going, hey, do you go to church around here, or if they live someplace else uh, out there? And you listen, what they have to say. And then they might go, well, do you? And they say, well, you know, I used to think that um, Christianity was just a religion, but I've actually discovered or found that it's actually a relationship with Christ, the living God. You see how you just kind of transition like that? And you kind of gauge the situation, you know, to see the receptivity and and where you can go with that. Well, here's just another one that's just a very simple question. When you're talking, you don't like lead off with this, but as you're getting to know people or talking with them, you just say, hey, uh, what's your spiritual background? Just ask them that question, and they'll tell you They'll probably tell you what kind of church they were a part of, or they were baptized, or something like that. And then, they, then you just say, has anybody ever shared with you just, just a clear presentation of how you can really know God, or shared with you how you can genuinely know God? And then you ask them, hey, do you mind if I did? And, okay, here's another one. These, these are called the Kennedy questions. Um, they are come up with a guy by the name of D. James Kennedy. Uh, he's the one that wrote these out. And these are really good questions. And so what you do is you kind of get to know someone, maybe you know someone that you've been working with for a while, and you just say, hey, are you up for a couple of good questions? Now, if they look a little hesitant, I have found that if you say, hey, you're a really smart guy or you're a sharp gal, are you up for a couple of good questions? Once you say that, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm glad you finally recognize that I'm really highly intelligent. I have, once you say that, people are like, I'm, no one's recognized just how sharp I am these last few years, but you just have. Sure, what are those good questions here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first question is this, if you were to die tonight on a scale of 0 to 100, how certain are you that you would go to heaven or that you would be in God's presence? Now you clarify that you hope that they don't die tonight, but you just ask them that just really simple question. And it's, you're going to find that most people are going to put themselves kind of like in the 80 to 90 percent range. And you just listen to them okay you don't comment or anything like that yeah, good that's good and then you follow up with a second question like you know if that were to happen and god were to ask you why should i let you into my heaven what would you say now this is where they are like, whoa ah, uh, and they'll come up with a, a variety of different answers as to why god should let them in and you just let them talk and they'll say things like well i went to church or my mama was a christian or oh, some things happened to me at church once, or, and they'll come up with some things, and they themselves, even as they say it, they will find out, they're like, this is kind of a weak answer, you know what I'm saying, and you just listen to them, but it serves as a springboard for a much deeper conversation. I remember a situation, I had a, I was teaching a class on hermeneutics, which is the art and science of interpreting the Bible, and I had all these adults in this class, and I, I took prayer cards. What I did is I had the people in the class so I could get to learn to know their names. Uh, I would have them write their name and just some prayer requests so I could pray for them while we went through this class for a quarter. And uh, one of these ladies that was in there, uh, she not only gave her name and some prayer requests, but she put all of her uh, different initials of all the different degrees that she had. She was probably the most educated woman that I had encountered that she's in my class. I didn't know anything about her other than that she was highly educated. One day at the office, I get a call Uh, this woman is in real distress and would like to set up an appointment as soon as possible. So Maggie comes in, I meet her, I could tell that she's pretty stressed out, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And this woman was uh, heading up the National Organ Donor uh, Association, she had a high-powered job, and uh, there had been some sort of turmoil at work, there were some accusations that were made toward her She was put on administrative leave, and she was freaking out because her whole life and identity was her job, and she was a very important person, and this was a very difficult circumstance for her. So I listened to her story and all the problems that's going on, and I said, hey, you know, can I ask you a couple questions? And I asked her those Kennedy questions. And here's this very sharp lady, and she listened to these questions, and she said, you know what? I do not know how to answer those questions. How how would you answer them? like i'm glad you asked and i was able to present the gospel to her and and i i asked her are you ready to trust in christ and turn from sin and trust in him and she said, i need to think more about this so i said i want you to do just that so i sent her home with the gospel and i challenged her to read the book of ephesians multiple times later that day she placed her faith in christ and as it would be uh, god cleared up her major work issue she was back reinstated all the accusation things were all resolved When we baptized her, she gave her testimony, counted some of the things that took place, and she talked about believing in Christ. And she says, you know, every day when I go into the office, the very first thing I do every day, I read the book of Ephesians. It all got started with just two different questions. Let me tell you another way that you can, another question you can ask. Just ask this, what do you do with your free time, or what do you do on the weekends, you will know, be fu- surprised that people will kind of tell you what they do and they may, they'll ask you like, hey, what do you do? And you could even tell them, well, you know, I actually, I go to church, I go to Fellowship Bible Church and I'll tell you why. And, and you have the opportunity of doing that. You see, I don't want you to feel like you're high and mighty and you're super intelligent and that's why you're a believer in Christ. Actually, it's, it's like this, friends. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. We're all in this together. We want people to know real relationship with the living God so let me just uh, give you some effective ways of sharing the gospel how can you actually do this well one would be just your personal testimony your salvation story if you're a believer in Christ you have one and so you just tell people um, like what was life before you knew Christ what was your identity purpose peace how did you kind of find meaning in life what that looked like okay if it's really bad and really gory you did a lot of bad things you don't have to get into a lot of great detail okay, and scare them, all right? You can speak generally. Then you talk about how you came to know Christ, and the third element of any salvation story is how you started to grow. You can share your story in 30 seconds, or you can do it in an hour. You just gauge. Be appropriate, be respectful, but just, just share with them. Um, another thing you can do, how do you, how do you actually share the gospel? Just memorize a few selected verses in the Bible, like John three sixteen. Or John fourteen six, or Romans six twenty-three, or Ephesians two, eight through ten. You're smart, you can memorize a few verses. And you could just say, Well, you know, I found this verse, John three sixteen to be really helpful, and you can quote it and explain why you believe in Christ. Another thing you can do is just, you know, there's like these little pamphlets or booklets like bad news, good news, or four spiritual laws, or do you want to know God personally? You could just give someone one of those little booklets. I mean, I've done it in other languages. where given someone a gospel presentation in the booklet because I didn't know their language, like Russian, and actually have seen people place their faith in Christ because someone took the time to basically hand them a booklet. It's not—it's really not that hard. You just never know how God might work. Here's something that's really powerful: to write a letter. To write out a a letter, especially if you can do it in your own handwriting, to someone of. Of why you believe in Christ. I've I've done this with my brothers. Uh, When I was in the business world, I did it with some clients. Uh, I've done it with a cousin of mine who was going through a difficult time. I find that when people are going through difficulties, that's really a good time to try to speak into their life. They seem to be more open because they realize, hey, what I'm doing isn't working. Uh, Multiple people in our church, they tell me like, man, my brother, now he's got cancer. He's like super hard-headed and he hates... Whole idea of Jesus. I say, you know what? Why don't you just write them a letter? The beauty of a letter is you can say it exactly the way you want to say it. It can be read over and over again. You're not there for them to go with the there for them to give the big refutation. You just speak the truth in love. And and really season your letter with love. You might find that it can be highly effective. Or just another one: uh, just invite someone to church. Like you can do it. Just invite someone. If you invite someone, they very well may come, especially to special services like Easter. Man, every Easter, we have people from all over. i got to meet all these folks. You know how they got here, don't you? Because you invited them, and you invite them. You show an interest in their life. Hey, would you like to come join me? We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you sit with me or my family. It'd be so cool, and they feel honored. Like, you even care? Okay, I'll come, and they do that, or like Christmas or or like baptism services. We got just, but just if you invite them, Uh, especially when people are going through trouble. That's a great time to reach out to them. Or just another just real easy way is just some sort of like diagram. Like there's the bridge, okay? Very simple little diagram. Uh, I have got this line diagram. We use it in our Discover Life class. Every time we have that, I go through this line diagram. It just kind of explains God's love, his justice, and how Jesus Christ satisfies God's justice because of his love. And by believing in Christ, you can have a relationship with him. Just covering this. But friends, you've got to have some tools in your bag. It'd be like a carpenter showing up to build a house, and like, well, I don't have any tools. and you just stand there. You have to have a few things that you can do, and these are very easy for you to do. I've got a couple guys that I've been talking with this, this fall, and it's been interesting. I've been able to share my testimony, covered Paul's testimony. Uh, I've gone through this line diagram with them. Uh, we've done some just kind of Q&A where they feel comfortable. They know that I, I care about them. They trust me, and they ask their questions. And they do not come from religious backgrounds whatsoever. So they've got crazy questions, and they've got some extremely good questions. So I asked one of them this week. I said, hey, so what are you thinking about all this? And he goes, man, I actually think about this all the time. I know at some point I am going to believe. I just don't know what I'm going to believe. But he's sorting it all out. I'm like, this is awesome. I am so glad I have an opportunity just to talk with him and have a guy with, a, he has, he's got a real genuine sincerity about him to just talk to him about the most important thing of life, relationship with Christ. If we're, if we're going to actually share the gospel, we've got to do it with our words. But some, let me tell you something else. We have to share it with our lives, our way of life. Not only do we talk to people about Christ with our words, but we actually live out the gospel with our lives. How you live your life, how you set the priority to your schedule, how you conduct yourself, how you do your work. If you got a job that is a major platform for showing people what does it look like to walk with Christ, not that you're perfect, but what does it mean to trust Christ? How do you, how you raise a family, how you treat people? You see, not only are Christians generally starting to be silenced, but now what's happened is we're not only not talking about the gospel, we're actually starting to look more and more like the very world in which God has saved us from. So much so that people can't actually tell that we even are Christians. In a book called Unchristian, David Kinneman highlights some rather troubling statistics that George Barna has come up with from the Barna Research Group. And this came out several years ago. But this is troubling. They found that nearly nine out of ten young outsiders, young people outside of the faith, nine out of ten said the term judgmental best describes present-day Christianity. Are you serious? Is that Jesus' intent for his people as that we would be known as the judgmental ones? Furthermore, he said, you know what? All these non-Christians, 84% of them said they actually knew someone who claimed to be a follower of Christ or a committed Christian. But the real sobering truth was this. Those same people said only 15% of them actually knew a Christian that didn't look exactly like the world. That is sobering we don't want to undo with our lives what we say with our words how you live tells others what you truly believe there's a guy by the name of earl palmer he wrote a book called the enormous exception he talks about his life and how he was far from god and he was major skeptic and had all these issues and questions and all these doubts when he was at university of california berkeley uh, he got real sick with the flu and it so happened that one of his classes he was taking was organic chemistry. I've heard of people that have taken it, and it's apparently extremely tough course. I see some of you smiling. You've obviously lived to tell about it. Well, he's sick, and he's missing it, but there was a guy in the class that just not only took all these notes for him, but went and presented the lectures, got all his assignments, and, and met with him and helped him through this while he was sick. This guy happened to be a Christian. He was so impressed and so moved by this guy that he eventually asked him, like, I'd like to go to your church. I mean, who are you? And he eventually, years later, became a Christian. And Palmer writes in his book, quote, you know that this just isn't done, and I probably wouldn't have done it. But he gave that help to me without any fanfare or complaints. I wanted to know what made this friend of mine act the way he did. I, find myself, I found myself asking him if I could go to church with him. And Palmer wrote, I think the best tribute I ever heard concerning a Christian was the tribute spoken of this student. I felt more alive when I was around this friend. That's what we're to be, salt, light. People feel more alive when they're around us, right? We share the gospel with our lives. Your life is your platform for proclamation, now, you need to understand, we've got to get over some of our phobias and fears. We are pretty good at locking ourselves into our little Christian bubble, and we're not talking with folks. We need to engage. We need to overcome our fears. Our feet need to become beautiful. You need to know that God is in the business of bringing the gospel to the people that are farthest from him. If all you have to look at is the guy who's writing the book of Romans, Paul, right? We went from Christ-hater to Christ-lover to a guy who's willing to suffer. How? the gospel. You look at church history, whether you see these women that just have this passion for Christ and they just lay down their lives for the furthering of God's gospel, or people like Chuck Colson or C.S. Lewis, how did they become Christians? You know how they became Christians, don't you? Another Christian who actually believed and cared enough about them and the gospel actually engaged them. You've got to think of it this way, friends. Probably the next Billy Graham is probably laying in some fraternity house right now, passed out drunk, The next Jonathan Edwards is probably cruising around in a car with a Darwin sticker in the back. The next Charles Haddon Spurgeon might be actually making posters for a gay pride parade right now. But we need to engage in their lives in some very real ways. It's like what Bill Bright said, success in evangelism is simply this. It is taking the gospel, taking the initiative to share the gospel, share about Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you just leave the results to God. You can't make anybody believe all you're called to do is be faithful. You simply talk. Fellowship, we want everyone reaching out to at least one. Who's your one? Who did you pray for this month, today? Who's your one? Everyone reaching out to one. We've got to overcome our fear, fear of their questions, fear of relationship rejection. We've got to overcome our pride, our lack of conviction, and our lack of desire. And you know how you do that. You just keep Christ at the center of everything you do. Not just Sunday morning, all throughout the week. How do you share the gospel? You do it with our words, and we do it with our life. We want to be ready. We want to be real. We want to be relational, respectful, courteous, and we want to be redemptive, talking about sin, talking about salvation that is found in Christ. You know what you need to know. People are God's primary means of revealing the gospel of Christ. I read an interesting uh, parable. Uh, it's called the Parable of the Lawnmower. This guy by the name of Andrew Wilson it uh, was out this summer, and he talks about this, this guy, and he's saying, you know, uh, he's, he's watching his neighbor. He's trying to really reach out to him, but he's not going to use words. You know, we talk about uh, words without deeds are dead. Well, you need to know that deeds without words are dead. So he, with his neighbor, he notices that he doesn't have a lawnmower, so he lets him use his lawnmower, and he uses it all the time, and eventually the neighbor breaks the lawnmower, so he goes goes by another one, he lets him use it, he invites him and his family over for dinner, and he shows him all sorts of unconditional love. And the guy dies then. So what was the message that he proclaimed with all of his good deeds? Well, the message is kind of what he said, is kind of like a message of good works. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be nice. It means to be kind to do good things. But that's not the gospel, is it? Is the gospel that we're just nice to people? That's not the gospel. The gospel is we all need real relationship with God, and that's possible because of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. That's the gospel. And you know why we're nice to our neighbors? It's because we actually believe, and we know Christ, And because we believe, we do enter into their lives and we are kind and we are generous and we are loving, but we're always looking for an opportunity because we really do love them to tell them about Christ. That is beautiful feat and action. Now, you need to know that the gospel is in motion and his people, his people are moving forward. You might like come to church and go, oh man, it's getting worse and worse in our world and there are fewer and fewer believers, and every year it gets worse. In actuality, that is not the case. In a book called Witness Essentials, Dan Meyer gives some rather encouraging statistics of what's going on in the world. Do you know in 1900, do you know how many Protestant churches there were in Korea? Zero. Today, there's over 7,000 churches in Seoul, Korea alone. Do you know in India that 14 million of the 140 million people that are in the untouchable caste are now believers in Christ? is that awesome did you know that more people in the islamic world have come to christ in the last 25 years than all of the previous year thousands of years a couple thousand years of christian history last 25 years more in fact like in indonesia islamic indonesia there are the number of christians has reached we well, think about 15 percent, but the muslim government is so appalled by the growing number of christians they will no longer produce the statistics talking about how many Christians actually exist in their country. In China, did you know that there are now more self-avowed Christians than there are in the communist party? In fact, even by the most conservative estimates, very soon China will have more Christians in their country than any other country in the world. Every, uh, around this planet, every day, there are about 80,000 people that come to Christ, and there are 510 new churches formed every single day. Do you know where the great exception is? actually in the Middle East, where Christianity gets its start, and America and Europe. Those are the two places where it seems to be on the decline. Real, genuine Christianity. Every place else around the world, God is at work, and he's moving. And you see, friends, God's primary means of people coming to know Christ and the gospel is through people who believe it. Some of you may be familiar with a guy by the name of Albie Pearson. Uh, If you're into baseball, Kind of yesteryear, there was a guy, Albie Pearson, Major League Baseball player, center fielder, played from 58 to 66. Uh, he's probably best known when he played for the Los Angeles or the California Angels. On a particular ev- event that took place before a ball game, Albie Pearson was asked to escort a movie star to home plate for, to rec- so this movie star could receive this major contribution to a charity, Okay. Well, Albie Pearson got pretty excited when he found out who the movie star was. It was none other than Marilyn Monroe. I mean, she was America's most glamorous face. So he was pretty excited about the whole opportunity of actually meeting Marilyn Monroe. When she shows up, and her and her entourage, she's waiting in the dugout, and he looks at her, the most famous and yet, he said, most loneliest person I'd ever seen in my life. She's just literally slumped over there in in the dugout. Like, what is wrong? I mean... He referred to her in this article that appeared in the LA Times as the most beautiful shell. And yet, when it was time to go and walk down and receive this contribution at home plate, when she stepped out of the dugout, it's literally like she turned it on. And she's just, she had a way of just turning on the glamour. She's posing for pictures. People are smiling. Everybody, all attention is focused on her. She receives the check. They go back. They get to the dugout. And literally, she just kind of like collapses again. And he said, I was staring in her eyes. He said, every verse in the Bible about God's love kept flooding through my head. I felt like I needed to talk with her. He's staring at her eyes, she's staring at him. And she said this to him. What is it that you're trying to tell me? And so Albie Pearson opened his mouth. He looked at her. And he just ran, nodded and he ran off out into center field for the start of the game. Marilyn Monroe never made a public appearance after that. Several weeks later, Pearson was with the Angels in New York. Tragedy struck. It went all around the world. Marilyn Monroe, three times divorced, dead of a drug overdose at age 36. Pearson heard about this in his hotel room in New York. He falls to his knees. He, he knew I wasn't responsible for her death, but he felt that God had given him an opportunity and he didn't take it. In fact, it had been a pattern in his life of being kind of the silent Christian. He was not public with his faith with the other players. He had developed just basically a code of silence when it came to his Christianity. He became very convicted that needed to change. When he actually was forced to retire in 1966 due to an injury that received sliding in, he ruptured two discs, uh, he started a Bible study in his home with his wife just a small little Bible study in their kind of modest house. First there were dozens, then hundreds, literally thousands would start coming as he started to become more open about his relationship with Christ. He said the neighbors thought they were pushing drugs. He said after all it was the late 60s, but actually what he's doing is he's engaging kids and having, talking about life and jobs and Christ and the Bible. And then he, he kind of got the idea that, you know what, I I want to start a foundation. So he did, and he started a foundation for training pastors and ministers, and he set up orphanages in Ecuador and Zambia. And then in 1997, he, he bought a ranch, and he started bringing these boys that had been abused ages 6 through 12, and he just tried to reach out, with them, out to them with the love of Christ. And furthermore, he started Pearson's Father Heart International Foundation, and as of mid-2011, He's been feeding 4,000 Zambian children each week who have lost their parents to AIDS, all because now he's been mobilized because he realized, I can be silent no more. And so I just want to ask you, have you come to that place where you'll be silent no more? People are God's primary means of revealing the gospel of Christ. Can I ask you to do something for me? I know you're sitting there and you're all very comfortable, but I'd like you to stand up. Could you stand up for me? Thank you. And I don't want you to look at me. I want you to turn around and I want you to look at those doors back there. All of them, all those doors. Just turn around and I want you to look at those doors. You need to know this. On the other side of those doors is our mission field. Let's pray. God, I come before you with my dear friends. And if there's any here who have never trusted in Christ, would they just simply pray with me and say, God, I get it. And I turn from sin and I put my trust and faith in Christ as my Savior and Lord. And Lord, for the rest of us, would you mobilize us? Would you loose our tongues and would our feet be beautiful? Would you help us to overcome fear with faith in you? And would you have the gospel presented to the people in our lives for your glory? We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.